By the way, dehydration is the spring version of flu-like like symptoms. symptoms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And make it so the cart doesn't tip over because that's always a threat. And you destroy the infield, so there's no chance of playing any longer than you absolutely have to. That you guys buy those golden chalice microphones that Snoop Dogg was using when he was Snoop Lion. <laughs> and welcome to Artificial Turf Wars, episode 92. At least we're not the Mets. I'm your host, Greg Wisniewski, and I am joined tonight by Joshua Housem. Josh? Yo. Yeah, there he is. Uh, and, uh, and Normally you follow that up with something, so okay. I was just waiting. And in a big shocker, we've brought back Nick Dyka for one more go-around. Nick, how's it going? <laughs> hey, Greg, how's it going? I have um, I've tried to make you feel at home. I've gotten some Olympic bunting, and I've put it up around the virtual booth. I hope you appreciate the decorations. <laughs> Thank you, but uh, be careful because I've heard they're pretty strict with those uh, Olympic rings. You you got to pay if you want to display those rings on anything. The importance of making it virtual bunting. Um, <laughs> the only kind of bunting we want to see around here, really. Um, <laughs> anyway, the Blue Jays uh, have continued to play spring games and, uh, you know, there's been a couple of little performance notes, but mostly it's people getting hurt, as tends to happen in spring training, and then people who were hurt early in spring training uh, sometimes coming back, which uh, is is what we're always hoping for. A uh, cu- couple pieces of bad news on that front that we'll get into in more depth. Uh, then we have the bullpen battle. As usual, we are trying to decide how many people will be in that bullpen and what it will look like on opening day, and then like two weeks after that, that's all going to change because someone's going to leave early in a blowout and they're going to be short a guy but hey it's exciting in spring to think about who might be on the team there were some moves in the american league that affected uh the blue jays opponents though not the blue jays directly we of course have lots of questions from you which we always appreciate uh yeah and i we're we were gonna have an interview about the yankees that's been postponed rest assured we do have someone who wants to tell us how great the yankees are going to be and we're going to try and hit that up next week so we shall begin. The Blue Jays are 9 and 10. How do we feel about that, uh, Josh? Hey, the last time we talked about this, they were, what was it, 5 and 8 or something like that? On a bit they're of a run. Up there. You know, they're <laughs> climbing up those Grapefruit League standings. I think they've still got a shot at the title. Yeah. I, I love the trophy. It's the best. Big grapefruit. It's delicious. <laughs> I can't. I, do you actually like grapefruit? I like Florida grapefruit. Mm-hmm. Is it, is it? Oh, let me guess. Sorry, Josh. This is the, uh, oh, you've never had grapefruit until you've been to Florida kind of, uh, discussion. No, I just, I just like it. (laughs) This is the Josh. I'm in Florida right now. Yeah. Rubbing it in. Rubbing it in. No, I'm actually not. I'm back in Toronto. So (laughs) back where it's not warm, but I was just there. So I was eating a lot of sweeter Florida grapefruits. All right, fair enough. So I guess the the performance uh, performances all around kind of have led them to that nine and ten record. A lot of late inning scoring, um, but I, we wanted to look at Aaron Sanchez because uh, he's one of the guys who has not hurt himself, which is sort of something we I guess we're all kind of waiting with bated breath to see if he does. So how has he done the last couple times out? Really, really well. I mean. He pitched uh, on the eighth against Baltimore and struck out five over three innings, gave up a run, 
And then the next time out, he went four and a third against the Braves because, you know, it's pitch limits. And he gave a home run to Ronald Acuna, who's apparently going to be the best player in the history of the world based on the way he's performing this spring. And he's looked good. All of his pitches are working, and he's not leaving with injury. <laughs> so, Nick, can we exhale yet? Um, I don't know. I have a little bit of a, a pointed question for Josh. Um, out of curiosity, has he been using his his change up any more than he has in the past? Because I, I know I've I've heard some people say that if he's able to like utilize that change up a little more, he could become even more dominant than we've seen him so far. He is. I mean, he's definitely working on it this spring. I don't know how representative that is of what he'll do once the season starts, as Greg Lick through talk about. He's been very successful as hammers and bullets. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, he he definitely could stand to use that as it'd be a much more effective weapon against left-handed pitchers. He still dominates righties with the other two pitches, but uh, he's throwing it. I and mean, there's no no more to say there until we actually see what he does during the regular season. Right. I, I am a little curious if the curveball was a cause of, you know, if, if that pressure was what was causing the blister and all the problems last year, if, um, not that he's going to stop throwing the curveball, but that if he, if he does favor the changeup versus lefties and he can get it working, maybe that's the 10% of the time or the, you know, 12% of the time or whatever, that he doesn't have to throw the curveball anymore. Certainly could be it, but I think the fastball was also a, a bit of a, a problem there. He, he talked about, or I, I th- it might not have been him, it might have been Brett Anderson. One of them talked about how with the smaller seams, they had to put more pressure to get this extra spin, and that applies on their on their fastballs as well because they need that big, sharp movement. It's, it's an interesting theory, though, I mean, because the, the changeup definitely rolls off your fingertips. You don't really want it to have a ton of spin. So if that is something, that could be a lot of help. But I also think it's worth remembering that... Sanchez's blister problems weren't new. He had them in 2015 and he had them in 2014, sorry, 2016. And they just got worse last year. It wasn't that he'd ever had them before. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So yeah, it's a matter of degree, I guess. So yeah. So essentially he just doesn't need to be completely blister free and oh, oh no, if there's a little tiny thing, he just needs to not be as bad as last year. And otherwise it should be all right. Absolutely, because uh, it's looking more and more, and we'll get to this later, <laughs> like 200 innings out of Aaron Sanchez is going to be super necessary or somewhere around that um, if this team is going to have the starting rotation quality that they were looking for. Uh, the other guy who's been having a, a very good spring relative to what maybe the Blue Jays were expecting is uh, Anthony Alford, your possible favorite player, Josh. Uh <laughs> But we we heard that he pulled his hamstring, possibly. Now, just for for reference, he has a 983 OPS. Pretty cool numbers. Um, Slug, 450 OBP, so he's walking. Uh, He's hitting for power, 533 with, what is it? Two triples, three doubles, and a home run. But then he pulled his hammy. No updates after that, though. Not yet. I mean, it it sounds like they're just assessing him. But... From from what I saw down there, he still clearly has a very good approach at the plate. He, I saw him leave a lot of tough, tough pitches off the corners that the incumbent, shall we say, has a habit of, <laughs> of swinging at very early in counts. Hey, the the incumbent is doing fine. I <laughs> he's having a monster spring. I mean, I it's it's not to rip on on Mr. Pilar. I'll, I'll I'll do them the honor of saying his name. We just you know have a pretty good idea of what he does at the big league level so if alfred can 
you know, stay healthy, which, and then this is why I think this is worth mentioning because Alfred has been very injury prone throughout his time with the Blue Jays. First, he didn't play much because he was playing football. But since he's been back and playing baseball full time, he's had a lot of trouble staying on the field. So while a tweaked day-to-day hamstring thing like he has right now in spring training isn't a big deal, as part of a larger trend, it'd be nice to see him just not get hurt. Now, Nick, did you did you hear John Gibbons' comment about Alfred's development? Uh, I did. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw, but Adam Jones actually was tweeting about him as well. Uh, I, think, I think the tweet went somewhere along the lines of, uh, why is nobody talking about Anthony Alfred? Um, so there's a lot of people that seem to be pretty excited about him. Um, but if we can, if I'm, if I can be the wet blanket for a minute and temper expectations, uh, like we just mentioned, Kevin Pillar is also having a pretty incredible <laughs> spring, and we know we know where that goes. So that's not to say Alfred can't be a good player or he won't be a good player. Just that, um, you know, he definitely needs to be to to show it in in the regular season and probably in the high minors, but before he does uh, with the Blue Jays too. Yeah, and, and that's obviously an important note because spring numbers kind of are meaningless. I mean, you know, we've joked about this before. It's like it's better than the other thing. It's better to be doing well than not. But when it comes to Alfred, it's just a continuation of what he has shown in the minor leagues. So, you know, when I compare him to Pilar, it's about the fact that he has shown this approach in games that at least, you know, they don't matter as to the Blue Jays specifically, but they matter in terms of the performance level. So right. that's where the difference lies, I think. So just for fun, because we keep saying about spring numbers, uh, I wanted to do this. Here are all the guys in spring with the Blue Jays who have an OPS over 1,000 still here, whatever, two weeks into March. Uh, H. Ramirez, admittedly, he's he's only had one at bat. Uh, Kevin Biggio. Uh, Curtis Granderson has a 1604 OPS. Vlad Guerrero Jr., 1600. Uh, K. Vicuna. Do we do we know K Vicuna? No. Uh, <laughs> Is he related to Ron? <laughs> I don't know. Kevin Pilar. Vicuna. Vicuna. <laughs> no, no. Hey. Hey, Ronald is Acuna, not Vicuna. Mm. Oh, sorry. Distant cousins, that. obviously. Kevin Pilar is there. Thirteen fifty-six OPS. Bo Bichette, thirteen thirty-three. Teoscar Hernandez, eleven oh one. Roman Fields, which is the best outfielder baseball name ever. Uh, it's Roman, though, unfortunately. Not to me. Uh, one oh three five. P. Cantwell. Paul. Pat. I don't know. I don't know. I know who Kevin Vicuña is. I don't know who that is. A thousand. Um, uh, we'll leave off B. Jones because he doesn't actually have an bat. And right there, right below that one thousand OPS mark, which I think we should talk about maybe just a smidge. Luke Melee, nine eighty three OPS. <laughs> yeah. I, th- I you've thrown it out there as a little teaser, but we actually got a question about this, so we'll save this discussion for the second segment. But Melee has been having a very good spring, and you know that could be interesting as your teaser. There we are, teaser for our own question segment. That's 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 clickbait right there. Um, okay, so now we get we've gone through the good to intermediate news. Now the bad news: Marcus Stroman is not going to be starting opening day, despite the fact that that inflammation is never going to come back. Uh, Nick, who is your pick for opening day starter? Um, I, I don't really have a, a strong a strong opinion on, on who gets the ball the first day of the season. Uh, I think ultimately 
you know, with with the Jays, they don't have like a, a elder statesman or figurehead in the way that you know the Cubs have John Lester or, or something like that. So I, I mean, I think it's really not that big of a, a deal who gets the ball, but ultimately, I think the the positive stuff about the Stroman news is it seems like he's throwing again. Um, you know, it is just the inflammation. There's nothing structural wrong with his shoulder. So you know, hopefully. Uh, that what they're saying is true and that he'll be able to get back towards the beginning of April, uh, potentially even in the first series against the Yankees. Okay. Just let's go back to the question though, from Greg for a second there though. <laughs> just, <laughs> oh, if the ultimate want- troll move would be to throw Aaron Sanchez, right? <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That's uh, you, you want that. Cause you want to see how many tweets Marcus Stroman can uh, shoot out and then immediately delete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I was there for the Gibby scrum when he talked about telling Stroman that he was not going to start opening day. He made it clear that Stroman wasn't happy about that. So throwing Sanchez out there would really just <laughs> twist that knife a little bit. Um, is it more about now not worrying so much about the marquee matchup and just looking for how you manage that rotation to get the the matchups you want um, over the first couple of turns of the rotation? Yeah, uh, probably. That's a consideration for sure, but I'm not sure how much they really want to focus on that kind of thing. I'm you have four games against the Yankees, so there's not really much you can do with that. And you know, the Yankees are just they're awesome. That that lineup is ridiculously good. So just you want to throw your good pitchers there, but they only have four healthy starters right now. So yeah, there's <laughs> only two that are that are right-handed. Yeah, and I guess if you count Joe Biagini, so there's five. But then they play the White Sox, and the White Sox suck. So it's just, you know, throw your best four guys for the first four and then go from there. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's simpler than I'm making it out to be, especially with that off day where you don't really have to worry about uh, what happens. They don't the have one. Oh, they didn't give him an off day the first series? No, the Blue Jays opened the season with seven straight games. <laughs> now, I, I've been talking about this with some people lately. It's from the first... Because of the Stroman injury, this is just the worst possible time to introduce this. They've always had that off day after the first or the second game. This year, they don't. MLB finally figured out, hmm, this team plays in a dome. We don't need rain delay days. Let's just throw a bunch of games there at the beginning of the season because they're safe. I, I feel like that logic does override the unfortunate circumstances that the Blue Jays find themselves in. That I, yeah. I, I've never been a fan of waiting a day just for game two of the season to start. That's when you're really champing at the bit for like, I want some baseball. Here's a day. Yeah. yeah. It's like, here's your, here's, here's your taste. Now wait. <laughs> like what I just did, but except, you know, baseball in general is a lot more exciting than talking about Luke Maley. <laughs> of course, we're missing someone else. We are missing Troy Tulowitzki, uh, Captain Bonespur. Um, this, this story no. gets sadder every day it goes on. But he's not going to be an opening day starter either, which puts us that officially. Is it a Ledmus Diaz who's going to be in the in the shortstop slot for opening day, or do we know? No, it's going to be him. And this is something that's kind of the subplot of this Jays team. Now, if we start off like a nothing thing, oh, he's fine, just a couple of days. Then it's like, oh yeah, yeah, end of the spring. And now it's like, oh, we hope to back him back by the end of April. And it would not shock anybody, I don't think, if he ends up on the sixty day DL and it's just like he's going to be gone until June. But with all the moves they made to address the depth of the season, the Jays added a whole bunch of outfielders. They added 
Solarte, who can play pretty much everywhere except shortstop. So right now their shortstops are Aled Miss Diaz, who has a ton of risk, and Gifting Gope, who, you know, he's a great defensive player but can't hit. Sounds familiar. <laughs> well, I, I think even even if Aled Miss Diaz hits like he hit last year, which was nowhere near how he hit in 2016, it's still a pretty big upgrade over Ryan Goins and Darwin Barney. Um, and, and I think that in itself, uh, along with the fact that I know Yangarvis Solarte doesn't play shortstop very well, but he has been known to take the position uh, from time to time last year. I think he played 12 games there, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he has played yeah. there, but you really don't want to put him there if you don't have to. But the one I'm more talking about here... Yeah, okay, if Diaz hits like he hit last year with his defense, that's a terrible player, but he should do better than that. The, the expectation from everybody is that he will, but what if Diaz gets hurt? I mean, he was hurt for a bunch of last year as well. The depth at that position is really, really shaky. Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess we're there's also Richard Urena, if if he's at all, um, you know, he's, he's depth. Like, he might not be ready to step in and, and make... A substantial impact, but yeah, I mean, this is the kind of depth that every team has, though, right? They have a player who can play, but they don't actually have anybody who, if Diaz goes down, mm -hmm. can actually play the position at a major league level. If, if assuming Travis is healthy, would you be opposed to Solarte at short? Like, if it's for two weeks, three weeks? Yeah, I think I would. <laughs> I think really? I'd be happier to play Josh Donaldson at short and put Solarte <laughs> at third. Well. Um, apparently Josh Donaldson is having some injury concerns of his own. Um, sticking your job, Greg. <laughs> Wait, which is, yeah, especially, I think the next thing. look, I, I made a special effort here because, uh, I wanted to make sure that we had something ready for the D Josh Donaldson calf report. So I, I, <clears throat> I took the liberty of preparing the following. <laughs> There we go. There's your cat. Is that what? What that? It's a cow. No. <laughs> it it did not sound like a an animal, but okay. It did to me. <laughs> <laughs> I I had video accompanying that when I recorded it. It was very definitely a calf, um, which Josh Donaldson does not know how to take care of. This is my conclusion. So, it sounds like it's just. Yeah, like a minor thing. He was dehydrated. By the way, dehydration is the spring version of flu-like flu -like symptoms. symptoms. Yeah, hundred <laughs> yeah. yeah. percent. We've all been dehydrated once or twice. Exactly. <laughs> Usually Sunday morning for some reason. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how that works out. And he, he's just a couple days. Like unlike the two whiskey cup days, he's actually fine, and they just don't want him to go back out there. But still, right. when you hear calf issues with Donaldson, it has to at least raise maybe not a red flag, but I don't know, a pink one or something. <laughs> I yeah, just picked like a pink flag for some reason. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it's always concerning when it's the the same body part that seems to be be causing trouble. But you know, hopefully, what they're saying is true, and it's just a minor flare up, and and he'll be back on the field. Well, it's not right, a yeah, lie. I mean, I, 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 it's not Sorry, a lie what? as long as they know the truth. 
Thank you. The, the great, the greatest, the greatest quote of all time. Still, we will throw this one out there with some regularity on this podcast because it just needs to stay alive. But I wasn't referring to this specific injury with Donaldson. I, I don't think this is more than anything but a couple of days. But it's just more the going forward risk. If this is the area that keeps bothering him, because this is what kept him out for a good chunk of last season and hurt him at the end of the previous season, even though he didn't leave the field. Right. Um. It is almost to me, anyway. I know, I know there has been a lot of concern about Marcus Stroman, but um, I think if the Jays were to lose Donaldson for any extended period of time, that would almost be be more damaging, I think, to their chances this year. Nothing can go wrong this year. No, that's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> unfortunate, but I think that's that's my conclusion from a couple of weeks ago, and it hasn't really changed because they did not sign. Uh, Jake Arrieta. Um, but we'll get into that in a few minutes. Uh, who else we got coming back, Josh? We got uh, a couple of them in- outfielder guys. Returning from injury. Mm-hmm. Yep, Steve Pierce, who had, uh, I think it was a calf injury of his own. And actually, it was a quad injury. And Randall Grichuk, who had a rib cage muscle pull. They're both back. They're both supposed to travel to Fort Myers on Thursday, which... No, they're putting them on that bus, so they're pretty confident. <laughs> uh, yes, the, only, the, the thing a, a Major League Baseball player most fears is a bus ride. Um, only bad things can happen. <laughs> okay, so uh, that means that the outfield depth in the Major Leagues is where it's supposed to be. Uh, we should make a note that the outfield depth in the Minor Leagues with Alfred unknown. Uh, now we've got poor Dalton Pompey can't catch a break again he's hurt his no. wrist this time yeah he was supposed to start i was at one of the games i think it was friday you know, i was in the clubhouse i saw it. it's like oh dog probably in the starting lineup go get to see you know how he's progressing and and then he was out of the lineup i just like wait what happened where did he go and then he was seen with a taped wrist and he's going to going a ct scan on the wrist and it's just like oh geez this guy, like you said it right he cannot catch a break which, uh, and again, if you're a Buffalo Bisons fan, also you don't want to hear that just all by itself. But more, I feel bad for Dalton Pompey because I think a healthy Dalton Pompey could make a really interesting, you know, uh, interesting story for the Blue Jays. And, and certainly, um, you know, there, there's a, a chance for someone to step up if, if one of the veterans is not performing up to his veteranness this year. And, and you want a guy ready to take that, that jump. And who knows if Pompey is just going to be critically injured forever yeah and specifically with this wrist one it's it sounds like it could be something because he heard it earlier in 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 the month and then he played it didn't get any better but his his grip strength was decreasing and he was having trouble holding onto the bat that sounds like it could be something more than just a minor sprain it 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 might be i'm not going to try to play doctor here over the podcast (laughs) that could mean something entirely different but anyway I, it's it's a little bit more worrying than just some of these other small things we've talked about, especially considering he needs to play. Yeah, yeah. yeah. As we mentioned last week with with our whole Barry Davis bit, um, yeah, you don't know where Dalton Pompey's at really until he gets a bunch of games under his belt again in a row. Okay, you, you know what the 
because it is spring training, I, I am curious to know your guys' thoughts. What percentage of these injuries do you think, whether it's like Alfred's hamstring pull or or Donaldson and his calf injury, are these things that would even be reported in the regular season? Or are these that, more like precautionary spring training? They play so, too much already in spring. Yeah, the Pompey one and the Alfred one for sure. They they would have kept them out. Yeah. Uh, I think that the Donaldson one and the Gritchuk one, they would have played through them. Gritchuk was playing through it anyway, but then they're just like, no, 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 sit down. <laughs> and so it, it's sort of a bit of both. But at the same time, when it's guys who have been habitually injured, when you see them get injured again, even for a day or two, it's just sort of, the health was the skill you wanted them to develop. So when it's right. not showing yet, it's it's a bit of a concern. <laughs> I think uh, for me, when I see a guy who's getting a lot of reps, like Alfred, and then all of a sudden it's like, oh, he's pulled his hamstring, he's going to have to sit for a couple of days. I actually tend to think that's legit. Whereas if you've got a guy like Donaldson who's kind of trying to slow play it, I think they'll look for, like there was talk of that at the beginning of spring. I think he's sort of looking for, um, not an excuse, but he's certainly not going to argue with them if they say, oh, you're, you're not feeling great? Well, maybe give you a couple more days because he didn't right. want a ton of reps anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Well, our last topic uh, for the Jays themselves is the bullpen battle, which actually is was only two slots to start off with, really. We've got the five that we pretty much know are coming north. Uh, and I read today, Josh, John Axford in four and two-thirds innings of work has convinced um, convinced John Gibbings that he's he's seen enough that he belongs in the major leagues, which is, I'm quite shocked at that. I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> so here's the thing with guys like Axford, or actually this applies to Tyler Clippert as well, and even Sung Wano when he eventually takes a mound, if that happens anytime soon. When you have guys who have had extreme success, which all these guys have had in the big leagues, and you bring them in on a minor league deal, it's mostly just about seeing that everything that you expected them to have and that they've had in the past is still there. And then you just take the shot on them. And if it doesn't work, you go with your young guys. But in this, in the case of John Axford, he's been an extreme strikeout pitcher for his whole career. We talked about some of the ups and downs. Last year was terrible. And I actually spoke to him about it. And he, he basically started getting his own head when he got some fluky bad ERA stuff early on, where essentially he gave up, a, he mentioned a specific play where he gave up a blue, you know, over the flare over the third baseman double to Brett Gardner that scored two runs. And his ERA after that game was seven. So he started screwing around with his pitch mix and trying to do things that were not ideal for his pitching style. And it ended up just snowballing and made the season awful. So John Axford forgot for a little bit that he was John Axford. Yeah, I think that happens. You know, it's funny you say it that way, but when you're a pitcher who is used to success and then you're not having it, you start to wonder, especially when you're not young. I mean, John Axford started his career older, so you start thinking, oh, man, am I losing it? What do I need to do to stay as a big league pitcher? And I think that's just what happened to him. And keep in mind, too, that these relievers are putting up, you know, 40, 50, 60 innings in a season. A, a starter could have a 40-inning a blip in the middle of a season, and we wouldn't even bat an eye about it. The The samples are so small when it when it comes to relief pitchers that their, their season lines – look a lot better and worse, I think, sometimes than they should based on those small samples. And, you know, 
a few outings inflating someone's ERA. Um, so I think that's part of why we see so much fluctuation, you know, year to year in in these performances too. And it's I, I wouldn't be surprised at all if Axford and Sangwano have really, really, really good seasons this year. Uh, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they struggled too, but that it's just there's so much volatility in, in relief pitching that I mean anything's possible really almost I uh I actually remember Dirk Hayhurst wrote one of uh one of his pieces on it and he was talking about one season that he um the you know middling right-handed reliever who could pretty much generically be replaced with anyone that he admitted um he had a one ERA going into September and he was so happy about the one ERA and he thought you know I'm probably only going to get another outing or two maybe just maybe I can see that on the back of my baseball card and then he went out for his last and and he gave up like three runs uh and he just got hammered and then his era is like four and a half or something and he's like well that dream died on the vine but that's the life of a relief pitcher yeah, yeah. but taking this back to the context of the current jays battle for the bullpen and you mentioned we mentioned oh who oh will make the teams on a major league deal unlike all these other guys he just has to finally get his visa he's still throwing on the side so it's i'm not like a starting pitcher like jake arietta with the phillies who has to build up He's just throwing an inning at a time. So as long as he's pitching, it doesn't really matter who he's pitching to. The other guy that I think that is essentially a lock to make this bullpen now, assuming he doesn't get hurt, is Tyler Clippert. Right. And, you know, we talked about this when he first signed, that there are some, some ups and downs with Clippert. And like, <laughs> like Axford, he did weird things with his pitch mix. I'm not going to go into huge detail about this now because I have a piece coming about this tomorrow. Or the next day, I'm not exactly sure when that's going to happen, and just I have to stop being lazy and write it. But when you have guys who've had ex the extreme levels of success like he has as well, and then there's a reason, a very clear reason why it went away, and they identify it, I think that it kind of makes sense. Just like let's see if this guy can keep getting it because from 2011 till 2015, Tyler Clipper was one of the best relievers in baseball, and then he was still really good in 2016. He just was bad last year. Yeah, bet, I, um, on, bet on that kind of regression, right? Yeah, yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna ask Josh because I know you were down there too. Uh, Luis Santos was having a pretty good spring too, right? Um, and it seems like he's probably not going to make the team now um, because well, of the interesting one, the Clippers signing. Yeah, so Luis John Gibbons loves Luis Santos, and he specifically loves Luis Santos because he can go multiple innings at a time, and Gibbons likes the idea of a long reliever. If he was on the 40-man roster, I think Santos would make the team and Danny Barnes would go down. Oh, okay. But, but because he's not, and we got a question about this later as well, if he's added with Clifford and Axford, that's three 40-man spots they have to clear, and that's really, really tough to do. Right. So really, what they're just going to have to hope for, I think, I mean, I could be wrong with this, but I think they're going to hope that Santos will accept an assignment to Buffalo. Baseball gets bloody complicated sometimes. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah, it does, especially at the end of spring training. All right. So we'll hit it up uh, quickly, Josh, at this point. There were some AL moves that f meaningfully impact the Blue Jays' um, odds, perhaps. Uh, the Twins with Lomo and then Lynn. Um, Walker with, now I've forgotten. What? Yankees. Yankees. That's what I thought, but I didn't want to say it. Um, Neil Walker, second baseman pickup. 
Um, am I forgetting somebody? I guess I'm forgetting Arietta. No, a... That's a National League deal, so it doesn't really affect the Jays the same way. What's what's the biggest takeaway from from any of those moves for the Jays? That it's going to be a lot tougher to make the postseason now. And that's not to say they won't, but it makes it, you know, they, their margin of error got smaller with these moves. Neil Walker to the Yankees and Brandon Drury, who they traded for earlier in the season. But the, the Walker, Morrison, and Lynn moves are, are the examples of this market just crashing and tanking. And teams who struck early, the Blue Jays didn't strike early. They didn't finish their moves until like early February. But because of the way the market ended up playing out, it still came early. Lance Lynn is making essentially the same money as Jaime Garcia. And if you told anybody at the beginning of the season that they could have Lance Lynn or Jaime Garcia, they'd take Lance Lynn. Especially and on... So now the, what, what the, yeah. How long is Lynn's deal? Is it just a one year? Or is it one yeah. with an off? One year. One year, 12 million. Have Lance, Lance Lynn for a year, and then you can figure out what you want to do after that. That's crazy. Yeah. And the Twins are one of the serious threats to fight the Blue Jays for one of these wildcard spots. They... Their division's terrible. I mean, it's Cleveland is good, but not as good as they were last year. And then Detroit, Chicago, and Kansas City are all garbage. So the better the Twins get, which adding the power from Morrison and the starting rotation performance from Lance Lynn makes them a much tougher opponent. And Walker is sort of the other side of the coin where it just makes every game against the Yankees tougher to win because there are now no holes in that lineup. Yep. I think to... To kind of go back to to the 2016 offseason too, this is like another way the Jays are feeling the effects of Kendrys Morales signing. Because if you look at the players that have signed in the last couple of weeks, it's it's Morrison, it's Duda, and these guys were available for almost nothing. Um, and and Lomo was coming off a 30 home run season. 38. You know, Lucas, 38. Yeah, Lucas Duda's hit over 20 home runs for the last four years. Um, these sluggers are coming dirt cheap and uh, the Jays not kind of having that flexibility uh, looks like they made the, it made them unable to kind of take advantage of this, this kind of buyer's market for these sluggers. All right. <laughs> well, just to quick, I just want to quickly address that contract because that one has been bad since almost right after it was signed. <laughs> it seemed okay, but every contract since has made it worse, which is just unfortunate. So he really needs to have a good year. That's pretty much the way to sum that up. The Blue Jays broke the market um, somehow. I don't know. They pushed the wrong button on, on Kendra's. All right. Before you guys make me any sadder, I think we're going to take a little break, <laughs> and then we're going to come back with some questions from our listeners, which uh, I'm counting on to cheer us up at the moment. We'll be right back. And we have returned. Yes. Hope you... Uh, took advantage of that time that little break we of course have come back so that we could answer your questions and uh, when we do that it sounds a bit like this time now to hear from our listeners that just seems silly here are the rules first i ask a question then you ask a question now how does that sound sweetheart could you repeat the question please all righty we shall begin with a question actually kind of uh, late to last podcast, but we like it. Uh, so we're going to read it uh, from David Hahn at Davy Danger Pants. No, I'm not kidding. If the Jays bring one or more of Axford, Clifford, Albuquerque, and Breslow North, 
Who are they going to remove from the 40-man to make room? I'm guessing they could put Tuttle on the 60-day DL for one spot, but other than that, I don't see who they'd risk putting on waivers. Josh of the all-seeing uh, waiver wire slash roster man, what say you? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, well, that's I mean, not a very good answer at all. <laughs> no, it's, it, the question is kind of tough. And we, we mentioned Luis Santos is in this mix as well. Albuquerque and Breslow probably have no shot at the roster at this point. But it's tough. I, I don't think they want to put Tulowitzki on the 60-day DL right away because they want him back at the end of April. And you could... We had another question almost right after this coming about Matt Dermody. I think that they wouldn't mind designating him for a diamond. You could see Dwight Smith. You could even see Dalton Pompey, though. That one would surprise me more. But because of all of the guys that they had to protect from the Rule 5 draft last year, the Jace 40-man roster is not loaded with the Chad Gerados of the world this year. <laughs> and so they're going to have some tough decisions to make. I think Dalton Pompey is interesting because of the injury history. Maybe he makes it through because nobody knows what they'd be picking up if they picked him up. But I, I, I would actually be a little more worried about him. I think I'd be more likely to go with Dwight Smith because you know, Dwight Smith is a fourth outfielder and he'll never be anything more than a fourth outfielder. Whereas some team, like if you're the Padres, we always like to rag on the Padres here, but <laughs> it's, it's... let's change it up. If, if you're the Kansas City Royals, <laughs> why would you just not say, what the heck? Like, let's try to see like, if Dalton Pompey, if he stays healthy, can have show the promise that he made him a top 40 or 50 prospect in baseball after the 2015 season. We shall see. All right. From uh, 2014 season. Sorry. So I, uh, I'll go for Mickey uh, Kosick uh, at Kosick underscore 65. Can you remind me if Matt Dermody got sent to minor league camp yet? Uh, do you actually have the answer to that, Nick? Um, yeah, no, it doesn't look like he has been as of, as of yet, but as we were just saying, uh, given the roster crunch, it, it doesn't look like he's gonna, gonna break camp with the team unless something major changes between now and the end of next week. Yeah, he's not making it. And <laughs> major changes basically is like if everybody gets hurt, if someone drops a bomb on that section of the clubhouse or something like that. Maybe he has some incriminating material on <laughs> John Gibbons or... Or he got some of that Ryan Goins voodoo magic? <laughs> yeah. Let, let us not speak of the voodoo magic. <laughs> All right. Hit me with one, Josh. Okay. This one comes from Minor Leaguer at Minor Leaguer. How would you end Minor League extra inning games? <laughs> Ooh, uh, I would play a game of uh, a pickle. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that Bullpen would work. Go-kart races, be... man. Sorry, go-kart yeah. races? Bullpen cart. Bullpen <laughs> cart races. There's a thing right there. That's even better than the sausage races they have in Milwaukee. Yeah, you nominate your best driver. You have to they have to go around a curve, so you gotta you really gotta have some driving ability and then and make it so the cart doesn't tip over because that's always a threat. And you destroy the infield, so there's no chance of playing any longer than you absolutely have to. <laughs> exactly. Would you uh, like to explain why this question came in, Greg? Yes, because uh, Rob Manfred hates baseball. That's why that question <laughs> came in. Which, which again, uh, now the minor leagues are going to go to uh, his, his man on second um, to start every inning, 10th inning and later in minor league games. That is the, the yeah, rule change, right? Yeah, that was the, the the new thing put in with 
Because you can't have so a tie. Here's the thing. <laughs> no, you can, you well, can that, completely screw up extra part. innings, but you can't have a tie. And then that's the weird part. Like, the idea of, you know, of changing minor league baseball is that, you know, who cares, right? Minor league baseball is it's a, it's a testing ground for players. And the idea behind it is this way you don't have these pitchers trying to go out there in the 14th, 15th inning because these rosters are smaller. But just call it a tie. Just end the game. <laughs> yeah, nobody or would get hurt. bullpen cart races. <laughs> or that. Unless, Nick, you, you had a better suggestion. No, no. I, I like the idea of ties. I was going to ask, though, do you guys think this is Rob Manfred kind of testing this idea out um, to see to see if there'd be a change at the major league level? No. I think Manfred is no, trying no. to protect assets. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is the one change he's put in in the minors that I think has no chance of ever going in in the big leagues. It, it would fundamentally alter the game, unlike anything else he's done. And I just can't see it happening. All right. Uh, from Brian, at big underscore B underscore SR, if you guys were given a one-time Patreon donation of $1,000, and I should have had a cash register sound, um, for making improvements <laughs> to the podcast, what would you do? I would suggest that you guys buy those golden chalice microphones that Snoop Dogg was using when he was <laughs> Snoop Lion. I think we would. Uh, I think we would just try to get Barry Davis's studio. Yeah, <laughs> we would rent Bar- for one night only. We would rent Barry Davis's studio. Hey, you know, studio costs, Nick. What would that get us? A thousand bucks. Uh you could. You could like. You could get a day in a, a studio. Um, right. maybe, maybe two days in, in kind of a smaller, smaller space. You don't need a ton of space though for, for podcasting unless, unless one of you guys wants to, to record drums while you're there, then maybe shell out for the thousand bucks. <laughs> Your artificial turf war, al- turf wars album. Will you play bass for us, Nick? Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. Now Sweet. we're talking, there, yeah. that, uh, you know, we might've, uh, we might've I, un- unintentionally uncovered some things here. Greg and I have been threatening to, to jam for a little while now. Now we just got to wait for the Patreon money and boom, we're together. We're (laughs) stopped. Yeah, I'll record it. Uh, Nick, uh, hit me up with something. All right. So, Vukmir Guerrero Jr. at Split Letters wants to know how worried should we be about the Stroman injury? Shoulder issues are dot, 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 rarely a good thing. Also, please reassure me that our starting pitcher depth is sufficient this year. I think if uh, if the MRI had showed something structural, I would be a lot more worried. But the fact that they're turning right around and putting Stroman back on the mound throwing, whether you know, I understand his schedule's been altered, but I don't think it's the end of the world at this point. Now, if we hear something else before the end of spring training, maybe my eyebrow is going to go a little bit higher. And I'm very attractive when I've raised an eyebrow like that. Uh, Josh, <laughs> having destroyed your arm at some point during your life, what do you think? I, I agree with you completely. At the beginning of spring training, after an off season, just a little inflammation in your body, being unhappy with going back on a mound is not that bad. Like like you said, as long as the MRI was clean and the fact that he's throwing pain free now, which he is, he just threw a bullpen on Monday, I believe it was. No Tuesday, no Monday it was right the first time, and he was fine. So, like you said, as long as it doesn't get worse, I wouldn't worry about it. And as for the starting pitcher depth, we talked about this. I think it was the last podcast. It's pretty good. This is the first time in forever that it actually has been real pitchers. And, you know, it's like we talked again. Like I said we talked about this, but Baraki, Panone, Guerrero—if they don't 
you choose him for 40 man roster shenanigans be a genie once everything's healthy that's a pretty good starting four fair enough uh the horseplay podcast at horseplay pod asks the mlb is doing a food festival what's your favorite snack at the dome nick um i know this is super boring but i'm going like uh soft serve ice cream uh i i do love some of the the more kind of like interesting foods that the the jays serve but i'm not going to a ballpark to eat dragon rolls in like the 35 degree heat <laughs> in, in the outfield like i kind of i think i'll like i like sticking to the staples while i'm there and then if i want to go for sushi i'll go for sushi afterwards kind of thing so yeah i I'm, I'm saying ice cream in a helmet gotta be in the helmet obviously oh yeah well yeah i mean that's just a given right do you have a favorite josh I don't actually eat in the park. I, I always get the, the, they have one of the best street meat hot dog vendors outside gate 10. I mean, no, it's terrible. Don't ever go there, but. <laughs> the price just went up. <laughs> yeah. And, and so I just buy those hot dogs and bring them in because you're allowed to bring in your own food. That's what I was going to say. My favorite thing is whatever I brought with me that day. Um, there are pictures of people uh, bringing in a cutting board and a full loaf of bread and some, some Montreal <laughs> yeah. smoked meat. and. <laughs> Just going at it in the outfield. A friend of mine for game five of the 2015 ALCS brought in a full Tupperware of, it was some kind of Indian dish. I can't remember what it was. <laughs> and he was just sitting there eating, sitting there eating that in the sixth row of the, of the park. It's, it's, I don't know how this isn't well known or isn't taken advantage of by more people. I know there's signs up, but they do not care if you bring your own food in. They never have. Um, so if, if, if you like a snack, bring it. Yeah. And just before we move off this, so they're doing this food fest thing, which was the, the cause for this question. The Rockies, come on. Their thing, their special food is a Helton burger and fries. It's just a cheeseburger. <laughs> come on. <laughs> give, give but it a little But it's named something. after Todd Helton. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it's only good in, in high altitudes. <laughs> What do we got next? All right. So this right. next question comes from Gideon. So are we buying Luke Maley's offseason changes he's talked about? Can he plausibly be a serviceable hitter? Nick. Well, I, I know I know I've said this already on the podcast, but I wouldn't buy anything until we see him doing it in the regular season for a decent amount of time uh, before I personally become a believer. Um, I, I don't. Like, given Luke Maley is going to be uh, 27, uh, I don't think it's overly likely. But, you know, crazier things have happened. And the first step to any improvement is an adjustment, which it sounds like he's made. So, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic, but not super optimistic. Did he specifically get into what the adjustment was? Um. Was, was he working on Josh? Was it like launch angle? I think like, and also uh, just his general approach. He was he was he felt he was being a little over aggressive last year, right? And so here's the thing with Luke Maley. I mean, the serviceable hitter is was the question here, and you know, he was a serviceable hitter for his 42 games in 2016. If it, he doesn't have to be any good, but it's just last year he was historically bad. And he was the worst hitter in Blue Jays history with 125 plate appearances. As long as he's not that, then he's fine. And and I so the question there, I think, yeah, he can because his 
his minor league numbers were better than that. So as long as he can produce just not at absolute zero, then I think he can be useful. All right. Um, Nick, you can ask the last question because I want to answer the last question. All right. So from uh, Juco James at Juco James wants to know, uh, does Josh think it is reasonable to use baseball reference war for Jay's starters to assess value given their penchant for weak contact based production? And if so, then could they be projected to win 92 to 93 games and in contention for the AL East? No, Josh does not think it is reasonable to use anybody's <laughs> war for Jay's starters to assess value. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I didn't mean to answer this one. But <laughs> so the basis for this question here was about my disdain for Frangraf's war specifically when it comes to pitchers because it assumes that a pitcher has no control over what happens after the ball leaves their hand, which is insane. And we've, we've talked about how the Blue Jays have a bunch of guys who have contact, hard contact suppressing stuff. I don't like baseball reference war for pitchers either because <laughs> it assumes they have full control and none of those things is accurate. It's based on runs allowed, which there are a lot of things that go into that. So no, I don't think war is a tool you should ever, ever, ever use to assess a starting pitcher or a pitcher at all. Now that's just Josh's opinion. So you could take that yeah. wherever you want to take it. But if you're specifically asking 100%, yeah, that's not where he's at. Uh, but thank you for the question, uh, because the you, you do wonder, it can is there a secret to be revealed within the projections? And I generally think the secret is that people doing projections love to play with numbers. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean they've gotten any of them any more right over the past two or three years than they have in, in the previous two or three years. Yeah. But that's just my and opinion. Yeah, I agree completely. And before I let you jump in there, Nick, I just want to address the second part of this question, because it was tied into the first. I do think the Jays pitching is their strength. And I think that projection systems as a whole don't like it because they don't see these eye-popping strikeout numbers, which is what typically makes people love pitchers. So I do think that a healthy Blue Jays rotation makes them a very strong contender. Do I think they can contend for the AL East? No, I don't. I think the AL East, the AL East is just too strong at the top. But I think if the starting rotation stays healthy, the Jays will be really good. Um. In, in defense of projections, uh, I know, Greg, I know you're saying you, you, you think they're, they're somewhat limited. I was actually looking at, a, I was reading a Dodgers blog um, the other day, and Pakoda has actually gotten within four wins of the Dodgers' actual win totals uh, for, since 2013. Um, so I do think they, they can be effective. That doesn't mean they're perfect, but nothing is. And, uh, and, and in terms of the Jays pitcher specifically, I'm, I'm very curious to see, to see how this year goes, because uh, as, much, as much as we have looked at the Jays' ability to kind of like suppress contact uh, in, the, in, their, in their starting pit rotation, I, I haven't seen a pitcher beat FIP for five years, 10 years. You know, we've see, I've seen pitchers beat their FIPs for three or four years, but kind of I've never seen anyone make an entire career out of it, um, aside from maybe Knuckleball or a Dickey. So I'm I'm very curious to see if like Marco Estrada uh, can bounce back and, and have a good year. Because as much as I think there is merit to the idea of pitchers can control the kind of contact that's being made, uh, I do think there at the same time there is no substitute for missing bats. Um, it's it's, well, no, it's I don't the think one thing that guarantees there is though. It's not that it's not that yeah. it's better to get weak contact than to miss a bat. It's not. 
but I just meant that these projection systems, which essentially all focus on the ability to miss bats and nothing else, they miss right. things like this. And you, we're not talking about guys that need to you know outplay their fit for you know an entire career because guys change, like their pitching profile changes. But if you want the exact right. example of a guy that is exact is what Marco Estrada does, it's Matt Kane. You know, Matt Kane outpitched his fit for five or six years in a row before he got hurt. Right. You know, he was the guy who just generated a ton of pop-ups and fly balls because his his contact profile wasn't that good. And that's what Estrada is. And and, and on the on the flip side, you have happened in Garcia who alternate ground balls and pop-ups. But you know, that's the stuff that projections don't capture because they can't look at that in, in the snapshot of what they take. So they devalue. I'm not saying that you'd rather have Marco Estrada's bat missing than Justin Verlander's strikeouts, but it does, I think, matter a lot more than projections taken into account. Before we right, get I, any I, further down the projections road, <clears throat> I, I'm afraid we are actually running a little bit low on time, though I'm sure we will pick this up in an extra pellets episode or something at some point. Mm-hmm. That said, uh, I would like to give you the few seconds I usually do to give a uh, final thought opportunity out. Nick, do you have a final thought this week? Um, yeah, mine was just for anybody who was interested to check out the uh, Alex Anthopoulos interview on uh, Executive Access. It's an MLB podcast, and he spent about an hour this week talking to Mark Feinstein. Um, and he hits all the the usual points about you know his time as the Jays GM and you know everything from acquiring Donaldson to trading Vernon Wells um, stuff we've we've definitely heard in in various capacities and and sound bites over the years. Uh, but what I found really interesting was. Anthopoulos talking about how he came up in the game um, and, you know, about having to leave the Expos, interestingly enough, because he was worried that when the team moved to Washington, he wasn't going to be able to get a visa, uh, even though the Expos wanted to keep him on. Um, and yeah, he just talks a lot about, about things like that and kind of how, how he evolved as, as an executive and, you know, how his life has changed uh, at that same time. So I recommend that. Cool. Uh, for anybody who's a fan. Very cool. All right, Josh, what have you got? Oh, just from my time down in, in Dunedin, it was interesting to see a bunch of these Jays relievers uh, pitching. And Roberto Osuna, we talked about it before, just uh, he wasn't throwing hard again the other day. It was 92 to 94. They had a strong wind blowing straight at the pitcher, so that probably affected it. But I'd still, as I mentioned before, I just want to see at least at the end of the spring when he starts, he needs to start ramping it up. I want to see some of those 97s. Remains to be seen. Uh, I'm going to go all the way over to the other coast. Ichiro! Ichiro is back with <laughs> the Seattle Mariners, uh, including some really juicy quotes like, uh, when I say I want to play until I'm 50, I mean until at least 50, which uh, you got to <laughs> admire that. <laughs> the whole attitude there. Uh, all I could say is the Mariners, I don't know. Did, did they learn their lesson from bringing back legend Ken Griffey Jr.? Do they think Ichiro is different? I hope Ichiro is different for their sake. Um, because that, that was a disaster in its own way. Um, you know, despite all the goodwill that he came in with, I don't know. I mean, is Ichiro fourth outfielder material? It'll be interesting to see how much he, how much he plays and how much of an impact he has. Um, but it is always more fun when you see his little uh, bat up and hitch the sleeve up uh, back in the American League this year. So we might see him more than once. And that about brings us to the end 
of our episode, which is to say that you have been Joshua Housem at Joshua Housem and Nick Dyka at Nick Dyka. And I have been Greg Wisniewski at Coolhead2010. And this has been Artificial Turf Wars episode number 92. And we'll talk to you again next week.